So let's turn our attention back to our message time. And uh, I began my Christmas series at the beginning of December by confessing to you that I have spent uh, much of my life as a bit of a Scrooge and not doing much of Christmas sermons. And now here I am extending my Christmas series into the first Sunday of January. You think of anything, I would have said, hey, good, Christmas is done. Now we're done with this. But I listened to Chris's message from last week. By the way, many, many thanks. Chris is not here this morning. He's actually homesick. So uh, 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 sorry about that, Chris. But I, I, uh, many thanks to Chris for filling in on very short notice last week for me. I listened to his message and I was uh, debating and thinking that perhaps we'll just move on to uh, what I had planned for this Sunday anyway. But as I did so and I spent some time with the Lord and I was revisiting back what I was thinking of saying uh, in my final message from the series Christ Has Come, it really uh, seemed to become apparent to me that uh, Chris really preached a nice sort of half step in between where I was at two weeks ago and where I hope to be today. And uh, he really did a really good job of focusing on personal application, which I appreciate, uh, that the, well, the message of Christmas has to mean something to us. And uh, uh, having said that, I'm going to uh, just continue to read one more Sunday out of Luke chapter 1, verses 68 to 79, and finishing off the series, partly because I have also kind of designed this to, uh, to prepare the way for next week's message, which I hope to Lord willing, introduce the subject or the theme of 2022, Make Disciples. And today is going to set up a bit for that. So turning your Bibles once again to Luke chapter 1, we're going to read the same verses now for the fifth week in a row. This is my fourth sermon, but for the fifth week in a row. Luke chapter 1, verses 68 to 79, as Zechariah looks down at his newborn son, the one who was going to be known as John the Baptist, who would prepare the way for Jesus Christ in his earthly ministry. Zechariah, filled with the Holy Spirit, he says this, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us, that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, child, he goes on to say, you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace." Father, thank you so much. Thank you for your inspired word. Thank you that every time we read it, it speaks to us when we allow you to do so. The question is never on the side of your word or your ability or the Holy Spirit. The question is on our end of things, whether we are willing to listen or to be open to it. Thank you that when we read your word more than once, the same word over and over again, that it continues to speak. Speak to us one more, once more this week from this text, Father. And I thank you for you have been so faithful and you will continue to be faithful in uh, breaking your bread for us, breaking the word for us that we may eat, we may uh, be fed from it, we may grow from it. Lord, we want to say up front, 
we should always say this, but I'm just going to say it this morning out loud as a prayer. We want to say up front that where your word may hedge into our life or, or, or push into our life or, or reveal to us something that ought to change, we want to yield to you. For we believe that you have redeemed us and our, our Lord and not just our Savior. Thanks be to Jesus Christ in whose name we pray. Amen. So we began this series off every time, the step of the way we've come through. We've said, first of all, in the first message, I talked about the fact that God has visited us. And you remember, I think Chris referred to this last week, so I don't need to spend much time with this. But God, when, he's, when I say that, God has inspected us. And when God inspects how things are down here, what does he see? What does he see? I know we're a little smaller today, but that doesn't mean we can't participate in the, in the sermon. When God looks down and inspects our life and our situations, what does he see? He sees a mess. He sees need. He sees all the things that, that are falling short of all the places where we try as we might don't quite get there, right? And which means that when God visits us, it follows very naturally that the very next thing is that we receive mercy for God is a merciful God. He's a God of compassion. He's a God who loves his creation, those whom he created in his image. So when he sees us and our need, then we receive mercy, and we talked about that. And the biggest need we had, of course, was for redemption. So we focused on the third message two weeks ago, that God has redeemed us. That God has redeemed us. That's what we're going to pick up today and finish this off. And I, I framed it this way because I want us to see that just as naturally as us receiving mercy follows God inspecting and seeing our need, so the last part should follow just as naturally that God has redeemed us. The final part is, when God has redeemed us, we serve him. When God has redeemed us, we serve him. So I'll say that again, now that you see the whole thing up there. Just as I want you to know and believe and operate out of the fact that when God looks down at our situation and sees the great need we have, that the very next thing we can expect to naturally follow is his mercy for us. We should likewise see that when he displays that mercy, it comes primarily through his redemption. There's all kinds of other ways, by the way. But primarily through his redemption of us. And just as naturally, when God has redeemed us and we understand that, we cannot separate the next part from that. We serve him. That's what comes out of it. Now, I get this from the verse that's right here in our, in our text today where uh, Zacharias, he's looking at his son. He's talking about that God has visited his people. He's redeemed his people. He's raised up a horn of salvation. He has shown the mercy that's promised to us. He says that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. So he made the same connection. He said, praise be to God. God has inspected our situation, has found us lacking and wanting. We need salvation. He has sent his son, Jesus Christ, and he will bring about that salvation. And therefore, now having been set free from all the hands of the enemies who, don't, who hate us, who don't want us, who don't like us, who want to bring all kinds of death and destruction in our lives, being set free from there, we, now that we've been delivered, we can now serve him without fear. We can serve him in holiness and righteousness. We can serve him all of our days. Now, I want us to look closely at that word serve this morning 
Because we know what the word serve means, right? Well, we think we do. But I want you to see the actual Greek word being used in the text here. The word serve is the Greek word latruo. Latruo. It's a hard word to say. It's got a Y in there. Well, you don't see the Y, but it's got a Y sound. And of course, it means to serve. That's what it really means. But literally what that word means, latruo, means a hired menial. Now, that's not a word we use a whole lot, so I think we've got to talk about that word a little bit just to make sure we understand what is actually being communicated here. What is a menial? A what? A nobody. Are you sure about that, Jeff? You really want to say that? Because I'm going to tell us that's what we are. Is that what a menial is? How many people agree with Jeff? A menial is a nobody. Yeah, so like if I were to tell you that, you know, I went to go help uh, this grand relief effort. Some of you went to Kentucky, by the way. But if some of you went, uh, say, I went to go help this grand relief effort, but I really wasn't very satisfied because I kept getting all these menial tasks that didn't mean anything. What did I mean by that? I didn't like it. I'm not happy because I got all the unimportant tasks that nobody else wanted and nobody noticed that they were being done, Right? I got all the scrub stuff. I got all the stuff that was like out of the, out of the public eye that uh, somebody had to do, but the bottom of the totem pole guy was going to do. That's what the word menial actually means. So menial means uh, unimportant or small or uh, of little value. <laughs> right? So I'm telling you, and you're just going to take it from me this morning, I suppose. I don't know. But I'm telling you that Scripture says that when Zechariah looked at his son and he said, God has visited us, he's seen our greatest need, and he's redeemed us and in such a powerful way. He's raised up this horn of salvation. We're set free from our enemies. We are saved from all this nasty stuff so that we can now serve him, so that we can now be a hired menial. But I want you to see this morning, as much as our flesh might react against that and say, whoa, whoa, I don't like this talk. I don't like where it's going because I like being known as this, this, you know, uh, this, this big person. I like having the important stuff. I, 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 surely God saved me for grand tasks. And maybe he did, some of us. But to serve him is literally means this. I, I want you to see there's a real connection there because I used two words. Now, I didn't use them in successive weeks because... Um, because I wasn't here last week, but I used two words that really had, that tied these two things together. Let, let's, re, let's recall two weeks ago, what does the word redeem mean? What does it mean to be redeemed? Yeah, you used the exact phrase, to buy back. To be redeemed means to have been bought back. Redeem something means to buy it back. So to buy something back indicates I'm exchanging money, Right? Or something, right? I, when, when I'm buying something back, it's like it was mine, I don't have it anymore, and I'm, I'm exchanging something so that it, now what? It becomes mine again. So it actually is completely 100% logical and should follow for every one of us, although it really doesn't often, but it's a completely 100% logical and should follow for every one of us that if we have been redeemed, if we have been bought back, that means somebody paid something for us, for us to be known as a hired menial should be no stretch, right? We are hired. We were bought. Uh, don't those phrases mean the same thing? If I'm hired by somebody, what does that mean? If you're going to hire me to do your something, cleaning, lawn mowing, 
What does that mean? That means you're paying money and now I do what you tell me to do, right? I do the lawn like you want me to do. I shovel the walk like you want me to walk. I clean the house like you want me to clean. I don't get to say, when you're hiring me, I don't get to say, well, I don't do it that way. I'm going to do it this way. You get to say, no, I'm paying you, right? You understand that in the business realm. I want us to see the connection is equally as logical and cannot be refuted in Scripture. When we are redeemed by Jesus Christ, we are bought by him, paid for by him, which means we belong to him and we are hired by him, if you want to use that phrase, that we do his bidding. By the way, I would like to just submit to us that this phrase, I put it that way as a phrase, I would like to submit to us that that's a phrase that we become really, 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 really familiar with. And it becomes sort of the motto of our life, that we are redeemed to serve. We're not redeemed to do whatever we want to. We're not redeemed so that now I can have a blessed life. We're not redeemed for riches. We're not redeemed to the easy life. We're not redeemed to fulfill our own desires. We're not redeemed to be left alone. We're not redeemed so that I can go to heaven someday, but on this side I can do whatever I want to. We're not redeemed for some other time down the road. We are redeemed to serve. Those phrases go together. If we are redeemed, bought back, lutrosis, loosened, then we are redeemed to Latruro, to serve him, to be a hired menial. So a couple of weeks ago, I asked this question, I phrased it this way, and I actually got some really good answers from you, so I really was happy with this. But I asked the question for you to think a little about what you have been saved from. Remember that? Two weeks ago, I asked that question. What have you been saved from? And I invited you to stop and for a moment and think just for a little bit about that. And then I invited you to respond actually out loud, and many, many of you did, or several of you did. And you named some really good things that we have been saved from. I'd like to change that question slightly with one word difference this morning, because I want you to realize when I, when I talked about redemption and redeemed to serve, that the question is not just what have you been saved from, but the question is what have you been saved for? What have you been saved for? It's not just enough for us to understand that we have been saved from all of these things that we were enslaved to, that we were rightfully going to get. But it's ours to ask if God has seen it fit to redeem us or to purchase us or to set us free, why, or maybe that's a question of why, but for what have we been saved? What have we been saved for? So again, I'm just going to stop for a little bit and let you ponder that question and make it as personal as you possibly can. Two weeks ago, you were saved from something. I asked that question. What were you saved for? Why did God save you? I already gave you the answer, right? So that's the cop-out answer. To be his hands and feet? To be a teacher? So you got a lot more specific, right? Because Jerry's answer, although correct, and Brenda's answer, also very correct, could apply to most of us or all of us. Your answer doesn't necessarily. To be a servant? For good works? To bring him glory? That's absolutely, I think you can't read scripture and not have that answer come out. 
to worship him. By the way, you understand there's a connection. And we don't, we don't get this very much anymore because we don't respond to kings and in those kind of situations. Uh, but there's a real connection between serving and worshiping because they both involve the bowing down before and, and being, uh, being at your service. Uh, so there's a real connection there, no question about it. Aha, using scripture to answer the question. Everything we do is unto the Lord. Okay, so it's not just for us, but we're saved so that others can also be trained in the same way to, be, to understand their role as being a servant. That they also, I mean, good luck with that, right? Teaching your children that they are hired menials. <laughs> But is it any different with us adults, right? We can chuckle at that because it's so clear in kids. But it's no different with us. Let's be real. We don't like being hired menial any more than our kids do. Where do you think they get it? <laughs> anyway, how else do you want to answer that question? To evangelize? I would invite you, by the way, to consider asking the Holy Spirit this question and making it, and, and being, maybe not making it, being willing to go beyond even just the sort of the, these are all good answers, by the way. I'm not, I'm not criticizing them at all. But to go beyond sort of the, the open-ended applies to everyone kind of question. Like you specifically, personally, why did Jesus die for you? What did God redeem you for? What did he redeem me for? What purpose does he have for me? I mean, in general, all these things are true. To serve him, to bring glory to him, to evangelize, to, 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 to be hands and feet. All of those are true, and they, and they really are. But how specifically are you to be his hands and feet? In what specific ways are you to serve him? In what exact manner is it for you to be bringing glory to God? There we're going to find some distinction. Go ahead. Sorry. Ah. See, several of you have picked up on the theme that's exactly where we're going to go this morning. So I appreciate that so much. Is that it is virtually impossible. I'm going to just tell you it's impossible. But it's virtually because I suppose lots of people do it. But it's impossible to read the Bible and come to the great knowledge of the redemption and the gospel of Jesus Christ and miss out on the fact that somehow when we come to that knowledge, is there something there for us to make that knowledge known to other people? And it's right here in the text this morning. We're going to get there. But I want to hang on to that just a little bit because I want, I, want to, I want to show you that this is the theme of Scripture with just a couple of verses. You don't need to know. You know I mean, you're, already, I, you're already here with me this morning. But just to reinforce, because I think it's good practice from Bible teaching, to reinforce that I'm not pulling something out of context or something out of this text here that doesn't belong in all of Scripture. For example, in the writer of Hebrews, we talked about, we talked about this two weeks ago too, that Jesus uh, entered by his own blood into the most holy place. He opened a new and living way, but it also, he goes on to say that how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve 
the living God. You see the exact same connection made, right? That we are purified. When Jesus entered into that, that holy place and he made sacrifice once for all, he saved us. He has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. That's what Hebrews 10, 14 says. But the connection is right there. When he did that, he purified our conscience from dead works. Why? So that we can feel good about ourselves. So we can say, whew, now we escape death. Not according to this text. So that we can serve the living God. Romans makes the exact same case. Paul makes it in Romans. But now that you have been set free from sin, you got to love these words, and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. You see, just before that, he's posed a very important question. He said, when you were in your sin, you were free in regards to righteousness. In other words, when you wanted to do your own thing and you walked in the, the lust of your flesh and according to the world and all those ways, when you did that, you know what? You were free in regards to righteousness. You didn't have to obey God's law. And he said, let me ask you a question, though. What fruit were you getting at that time? What was the result of that? How did that work out? But he says, now you've been set free from that. And look, he just assumes he says, that's not even the teaching point of this text, although I'm using it that way today. That's not the teaching point of this text. He just assumes, now that you've been set free from sin, and by the way, that you were set free from sin, you're now a slave to God. Did you realize that? Because he's the one that redeems you. Now that you're set uh, free from sin, you become a slave to God. Now the fruit that you're going to get leads to sanctification and it's an eternal life. Now you're going to have those kind of results in your life. But I shared the verse because it makes it obvious that you can't separate those two. There's no such thing as saved from sin and in the middle ground. There's no such thing as redeemed and now your own person. There's no such thing as saved by Jesus but not under his lordship. Does not exist in scripture. Ought not to try to be exist in our lives, if that makes sense. It was kind of a hokey sentence. We, rec we memorize these, verse these verses in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. We are God's workmanship created, katidzoed, created in Christ Jesus. That's the word of redemption. Remember that when we covered that in Ephesians? That's been a little while ago now. Created in Christ Jesus. Why? Why? For good works, which God has prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Which is why Paul in the letter of Ephesians is going to say just a couple of chapters later, we'll get to this eventually, in chapter 4, that we are to put on the new self, which is created, redeemed, tizzo, again the same word, after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. When you and I were redeemed, we were set free from sin, the power of sin, the power of death, all of those things, but we have now become uh, free or become free in the sense of scripture, which means now we're free to do what God created us to do or to be, which is created after the likeness of God in actual true righteousness and holiness, not man-made, not striving for, not even or if you don't even care about that, but that you can now be created the new self after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. And of course, I like this verse because um, the verse that we read in our actual text for this morning, Zechariah models or uh, echoes the exact, those exact same words, right? He says that we, having been delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear. Look at the phrase he uses, the exact same phrase Paul used in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. Chris really did a good job with this last week, so I don't have to spend a lot of time with this, but uh, it really is true that when Jesus came, it meant something. It meant that God has visited us. It meant that God cared about us. It meant that God showed his mercy to us. It meant that God redeemed us, but it also means that we have an obligation now. We belong to him and we serve him. 
that our lives are inextricably tied to Jesus Christ when we've come to receive him for his salvation in his name. We can't separate that. We are hired menials for Jesus. We are bought and paid for nobodies, if you want to use that phrase. We are bought and paid for nobodies for Jesus. Now, it's not a very popular message, I understand. It's not what our ears want to hear. From my perspective, it's what Scripture teaches. We can serve God without fear, righteousness and holiness before him all of our days. And he goes on to say, by the way, one of those ways of serving. Now, he's looking at his specific son, and he's speaking in some ways specifically to his son, but in many ways he's speaking to all of us. Look at the very next words out of his mouth. For you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins. Now, that's, of course, literally what John the Baptist was to do, right? John the Baptist was the one who came to prepare the way. He's the voice of the one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight his paths, lift up the low places, fill in the low places, tear down the high places, make straight the way for the Lord Jesus to come. That's a little bit of my paraphrase. So he was literally the one that was going to be doing that. However, in a very real sense, Zechariah speaking prophetically on behalf of all of those who were to receive redemption in the name of Jesus Christ. That we are to go before the Lord to prepare his ways. Do you know that how matter, no matter how you answer the question I posed to you before, like what were you saved for, no matter how you answer that question, in all the myriads of ways that that may get worked out in our lives, of which there are myriads of ways, there are lots of different ways that each of us uh, can answer or will or should answer the question of what we're saved for. There's a lot of different expressions of that. But all of those ways will come home to this fact, that if they're doing what God asks us to do, then they will in some way be preparing the way for other people to have knowledge of salvation of their sins and that there's forgiveness available for those sins in Jesus Christ. We, as Paul says in 2 Corinthians, are his ambassadors. We are his ambassadors. Serving him in almost every context I can think of revolves around in some way preparing the way for the Lord. That may simply be preparing the way for Jesus to come into my heart more, but in almost every case when that happens, it also is some kind of outflow where it's affecting someone else around me. Quite likely, it's preparing the way for Jesus to come into someone else's life. Look at this. Look at this. You must, I told you to look at it. You must look at this. There's incredibly good news at Christmas time. Christ has come. Look at the things we've covered. God has visited us. He, we've received mercy. God has redeemed us. How are people going to know that? How do people find out about that? How does the, everyone in the world know this truth? How are they going to find out? It's quiet. How are they going to find out? <laughs> right? They're either going to somehow, by God's grace, pick up a Bible and read the truth in here, or they're going to be led to someone who's going to tell them about those things, right? How will they believe if no one has told them, right? How will someone go tell them unless they're sent? All of those scriptures, Isaiah, have, it's repeated in, in the New Testament. 
all of those things revolve around the same thing. If it's incredibly good news that Christ has come, and it is, and if God has truly inspected our situation and seen our need, which he has, and if we've received mercy out of that, which we have, and if God has redeemed us, which has, been t- has taken place, it's true, then people have to know about it. You, all of us sitting here this morning, we're aware of it. We've come to church, many of us, for most of our lives. So we've, we've known all this. But do you know there's people all over the world that do not know this information about the good news of Jesus Christ? And, I mean, let's, let's not even just get lost in the weeds of all over the world. Do you know there's people really close to you, like in your everyday life, that don't know this, that have not received this? that have not had a way made straight for them so that Jesus can come into their life. That last part of we serving him in a large part has to do with the fact that all of this we've talked about is true and many people are not aware of that or have not understood that or have not ever seen that in action by someone close to them. Which is, of course, why we're going to have the theme of this year of making disciples. Because it's important. Now, this whole way through, this whole way through, let me just put this back up here because it's the verse we keep coming back to. It's a verse where I want us to end with as we think about this Christmas series that Christ has come, that the end result of Jesus Christ coming for us is not just that we, uh, only that we enter into that salvation ourselves, that redemption ourselves, is that we recognize that we have been delivered from the hand of our enemies and are now free or we are now bound to serve him without fear. And that I, when I use the word bound, it makes it sound like more bondage, but Jesus makes it clear his, his burden is easy, right? His yoke is easy, his burden is light. So many times we shrink away from the fact because we feel like it's, it's, it's imposing bondage on people. We shrink away from the fact that uh, you're a slave to God. You're a slave to someone, right? You're either going to be a slave to sin, to yourself, to Satan, or a slave to God. I can tell you Jesus came to set you free from those first three that I mentioned so that you can be a slave to God. And when we come to realize that information as we see that, that we can serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness all of our days, I want to do one more time of overlaying this because I, I did a bit of this early on. I, didn't, I don't think I did it much two weeks ago. But even in the text that we're reading and we're talking about the coming of Jesus Christ, which is arguably the greatest thing that ever happened in the history of humanity, even in that, there's room for us to say that what we are reading and talking about is an overlay of something that is yet to come. For when Jesus uh, came and he brought this horn of salvation, he did bring salvation for us, did he not? The wells were opened wide and the blood flowed that we could enter into a right relationship with our Father. But if I were to ask you this morning whether salvation has been fully wrought, how would you answer that? It's a bit of a trick question because, yes, it has. One time for all, Jesus died. But have you and I seen the full and complete effects of the salvation of mankind? How would you answer that? We have not, have we? For sin still abounds, does it not? We're still in a battle, are we not? Our flesh still rears its ugly head, does it not? Satan is still out and about seeking to see who he can kill, what he can maim, how he can destroy things. We have not yet seen 
the full triumph of Jesus Christ, have we? Even in this, even in this language, you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High. You'll go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. Those words ring oh so true with Jesus' first coming. But there is much of those words that is also true with Jesus' second coming. Are we not still yet awaiting a sunrise? There was a sun that rose a long time ago, and it brought salvation. It opened up those wells, like I said, and we can have a right relationship. We can know, we have an anchor that we hang on to. We can know that we have something that will see us through the storm of death, and death will be left behind. But we are still waiting for a sunrise, are we not? We're still waiting, and the darker and darker it gets, the more and more that we are yearning for those first glimmering rays of the sun to peek up over the eastern shore. This is why I can tell you it must be our motto that we are redeemed to serve him. That we are redeemed to be a hired menial so that more people, that's exactly the task here, to give knowledge of everyone else that there's a sunrise coming and when that sunrise happens, it will be forever too late to change your eternal destiny. Which means people need to know that there's forgiveness of their sins. People need to know that salvation has come in Jesus Christ. People need to know that there's a judgment coming. People need to know that there's a sunrise coming where Jesus will be the king over all his creation. It is with that in mind that I read to you these words from Paul in his letter to the Romans. He says in chapter 13, Romans chapter 13, verse 11, besides this, you know the time. You know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. By the way, how do you think Paul saw those layers upon layers of salvation? Because the way he phrases that's when he says salvation is nearer to us, did he not believe that salvation had already come? Yes and no. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone, the day is at hand. And then he gives us a response. So then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. You might, you might say, Merlin people have been saying this for ages. Look at Paul. He was saying it back when he wrote those words. And yet I stand by the truth of this statement and I stand by the necessity for believers throughout the ages to have this kind of mindset. Friends, you know the hour. Darkness has pressed hard and day is about to come. There is not much time that remains. It is time for us to wake from our sleep. 
It is time for us ourselves to be disciples of Jesus Christ. It is time for us to recognize that Jesus has given us a task and as his hired menials, our task is to go and make disciples of all mankind, to baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Spirit and to teach them to obey all that Jesus has commanded us. It is those words we're going to pay attention to next week, Lord willing. It is those words we're going to be paying attention to this entire year, Lord willing. For it is that great task which will ever lie before us, and we must know that the night is far spent and day is at hand. I don't think we have a lot of time. God, thank you so much for your words this morning. Thank you for your text. Thanks for revealing to us what may make us uncomfortable. We may like to be the star of the show, Father. We may fancy ourselves as important cogs in this machine that if we were not here, then the whole thing would fall apart. And yet your word demonstrates this to us over and over and over and over and over again. God, you are the star of the show. Jesus, you are the light of the world. You are the creator of all, everything we see of all mankind. You are the king of kings. You are the glory. You reveal to us the Father, when you were here in the flesh, Jesus, and you are the star of the show, Jesus. You, Holy Spirit, you who are perfect, you sanctify our hearts, you guide us into all truth, you reveal us uh, to us when we are going walking astray, you convict the hearts of mankind, you reveal that there's judgment coming, you show us the way, you illuminate, you are the light in that way, Jesus, through the Holy Spirit in our presence, you are the star of the show, not us. Help us to see that we have been redeemed and what a glorious redemption it is. What a marvelous thing it is, God. What an incredible gift it is of your mercy. Something we never deserve, something we could never earn or could never do anything to get. Yet we have been given. But when we have received this wonderful gift of redemption, that it comes undeniably with the truth that we belong to you. And that's not a hard thing. That's a good thing. God, that's a good thing. We belong to you. We're yours. The king of the universe. We belong to you. May there be a growing sense in us, Father, of the delight that is ours to serve you to bring glory to you by doing good works, by walking before you, no longer afraid, but in true righteousness and holiness all of our days. As we look forward to the coming of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Thank you. May you be glorified, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.